If you have your Bibles open to the book of Revelation, I will be there, but I also will be in 1 Thessalonians, so if you don't quite know where 1 Thessalonians is, you can go ahead and look for that too, so you won't look silly trying to find it later on. And, uh, but I think it's important for us to understand a little bit more concerning missions and God and his desire is, is here in Revelation. I think that if you were to look at the book of Revelation, there are a lot of things that are hard to understand. But I think if you go slow enough and seek some commentaries, they'll help you and open your eyes to what is being said. Here in the fifth chapter, I believe, is one of the most beautiful portions of Scripture because it explains to us what it's like in heaven. We know in chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible mentions that he looked up and there was a door open in the heaven. And so if you look at verse number 1, it says, after this, after what? After the church age, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 is talking about the church age. So if we're talking about a panorama of time, we're talking about the church age being over. And after this, I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show you the things which must be hereafter. And so I really believe that the Bible is actually giving us a description of what it's going to be like when we're called up. There's going to be a trumpet sound. There's going to be a voice of the archangel. And we are going to leave the ground before we know it, according to the scriptures. The Bible tells us that there is going to be, before the second coming, a rapture of God's people. There's going to be a seven-year period of time of tribulation upon the earth. The doors to that are opening. You can see that there is going to be a one-world order. You see that that is coming to, to uh, fruition. There are all kinds of things going on as we speak. It is a very serious time to live. It is a very serious time for the Christian. And so I want to give to you what I believe is one of the most needed messages and uh, dealing with the, the global or the glorious global, global eternal purpose of the God of heaven. What is God's purpose? I think it's really noted to us what his purpose is after in the fifth chapter, verse number five, he talks about the seven seals that are going to be opened. And those seven seals are in chapter six. All seven of them are presented there. We have uh, the tendency sometimes to, to, to think that you cannot understand this portion of scripture, but you really can. In verse number six, then gives us a description that God gives to us concerning his desire, and what I really believe is his eternal purpose is mentioned here. What is God's eternal purpose? Do you even know what God's purpose is? I really believe that you really won't understand your purpose in life until you understand God's purpose in life. I think once you get a view of what God is trying to do, then you can see where you fit in. Verse number six says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Verse number eight says, And when he had uh, taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors or prayers, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. 
For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. I really believe verse number nine gives us an understanding of really the purpose of the Almighty God and his eternal purpose. And I would call it the glorious global purpose of God. And I really think that introduced to Grace Baptist Church years ago, there was a desire for us to do a little bit more for missions to give a little bit more, to be able to provide for people as they take the word of God to the lost. The 24 elders that are mentioned here, I think, are the really the 12 uh, uh, patriarchs and also the 12 apostles that are mentioned, these 24 men. They're mentioned also in chapter number 1, and they are wearing wreaths on their head. There is, uh, these men are, are men of honor. They are in a position where they are able to praise the Lord and to reap before the Lord and to weep before him and to understand who he is and what he has done. When the Bible is speaking about a number that no man can number, it says it this way, and the number of them was 10,000 and 10,000 and and, uh, a thousand of thousands. That's a number that no man can really number is mentioned here in glory. We're talking about those that are in heaven and those that have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me just give you some assurance this morning that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and by the way, it's not really difficult. If you have somebody tell you that it's hard to be a Christian, it is not. Jesus Christ has done everything for you. Don't think that it's hard to trust Jesus because Jesus has done everything that needs to be done to redeem you. He went to the cross. He shed his blood for you and he shed his blood for me. And if you've never been under the blood of Jesus Christ, then you're not really living. You need to come to the place where you too are among those that are under the altar and saying, Lord, how long, how long will you not avenge what's going on on this earth? There are those that have actually been born again that are in heaven today. They are seated at the right hand of the Lord with Jesus himself, and they are ready for the second coming. They are ready for us to be able to join them. But until then, God is still tarrying. He's still calling out people from their sin into a relationship with God. Out of the darkness, out of the vast uh, push, if you would, of this world system, there are those that have been redeemed. Now they're with the Lord. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I'm not talking about just going to church. I'm not talking about just being a good person. I'm talking about being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And you must come to the place where you admit with Him that you are a sinner, that you are lost in your sin, that you are in darkness and you have no hope without Jesus Christ. The eternal, glorious understanding of the God of heaven is to redeem people and to bring them out so that He would call unto them a people that would be priests and kings. The Lord Jesus Christ is calling you today. Are you going to say yes to Him? Or are you going to stiff arm Him and say no? And maybe you have already been redeemed, but you've been backslidden for some time. Down in your heart, you still are not where you should be spiritually. Then I'm praying that God will work in your heart this morning, that you'll see the understanding of God's glorious, global, eternal purpose of the God of heaven to be able to get along with God and say, I see your purpose, and now I know what my purpose is. Does your purpose fit his purpose? Do you understand this? This is a serious thing. It's partly explained by a man named Daryl Champlin. Dr. Daryl Champlin was in our church years ago. We were fortunate to get him here. He decided that he was going to go to the Congo and work with his mother and father-in-law in Africa. He went to Bible college and met a woman that was going to be on the mission field also. 
and he would speak often about how that if you have a desire to serve the Lord and you have a, a desire to follow God and to do his will, you better find a woman who wants to do the same thing if you're a man. And if you're a woman that wants to serve the Lord, you better not think that you can change that knobhead into something that you want him to be because he will not change without God moving in his heart. And it's important for you to understand that if you have a desire to serve God, you better find a mate that wants to serve God also. And I think it's important for us to go back a little bit to this man, Daryl Champlin, for a moment and understand a little bit of what went on in his life. I remember him coming to uh, Northland Baptist Bible College when I was there as a student. He did a block course for eight weeks. What a wonderful time it was to sit in that old chapel and to hear such a man of God speak the truth and call out us that we maybe the Lord would actually call us to missions. The block course was on missions, and he talked about the eternal purpose of God. In fact, he put it this way. According to the scriptures, Daryl Champlin said this, to call out a people from every kindred and tongue and nation and multitude, redeemed by the blood of his Lamb, slain on Calvary's cross, over whom he will crown his son, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, forever, because this is the passion of the heart of God that cannot be quenched. It is his obsession of his mind that cannot be denied. It is the vision of his eyes from eternity past into eternity future that will not dim, and a destination to which he has committed his own omnipotent, eternal, immutable being in a destination that he will not abandon. That's really the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had that desire within him. The, the chaplains, of course, went to the Congo in 1964. They had to leave the Congo, and he had a desire to go to Suriname, Suriname, South Africa, in 1965, he met a young man there called Bikiki, and Bikiki trusted Christ and taught them, of course, some of the native tongue, and also they were able to teach him English. And his brother, Mboko, got sick, and Mboko died. So it's interesting because the natives of that particular village felt that they could call upon the missionary and that he would come and he would pray to Bakiki because Bakiki was born, born of God. And of course, Bakiki was in heaven and they talked about it, that he went because he trusted Jesus Christ as his savior. But now his brother Amboko was sick and he was laying in the cot, laying there on, on the, in, the, in the hammock, if you would, in the hut. And they called the missionary and they said, why don't you come? Come now, missionary, and raise him. He's not well. We think he has died. We know that you can help him. Why don't you come with us? We will pray to our God and you will pray to your God. Interesting because they thought that they could mix the gods. They could actually call upon all these gods just to make sure, like those in, in, in Greece thought that they could actually have all these different monuments to all the different gods. Let me tell you something right now this morning. There is one God. His name is Jehovah. And his son is Jesus Christ, and there is salvation in none other. There is no other name under heaven whereby a man must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way that you can be saved. He is the one that actually died and paid the price and the penalty for your sin. But it's interesting as they would come through the night and they said, missionary, you must come. And so he said, talks about how he went through the vast darkness of that village into a small little hut 
with 12 people or so, and there was the witch doctor and all of the elders of that particular village, and they were saying, you pray now. You pray to your God, and we'll pray to our God, and you can actually raise him from the dead. We'll see Mboko. He will actually come back to us. He'll, he'll be able to be with us, and, and because we know that if we call upon our God and you call upon yours, he says, stop it! There's only one God. We must kneel before the God of heaven. And if you will not do it, I cannot do anything with you unless you renounce your gods and come to my God and trust him completely. Dr. Daryl Champlin turning, walked toward the door. And they said, missionary, where are you going? He says, I'm not playing games. Either you're going to trust the God of heaven or you're going to call it to your gods and you'll see that he, they cannot raise him from the dead. And as he walked toward the door, they said, missionary, we will. We will submit to your God. We believe that your God is the God of heaven. We believe that your God can raise him. And so then he went over really close to the dead body. He, there was no pulse. There was no, there was no heartbeat. There was no breath in him. And he looked at all of those people that were in there, the elders and the, and, the, uh, and the witch doctor, and they got onto their knees and they began to weep. And they cried out to the God of heaven. And they said, oh God, we believe that you are the only God. And Mr. Uh, Champlin, Dr. Champlin, grabbed the hold of the arm of that young man. And he said, God, I believe it is part of your eternal purpose that you would raise him, have mercy upon him. And he sat up. Now, you can believe that or not. But I had a hard time believing it when I heard this story the first time. And then I had the privilege of having in my home for having him and his wife in our home for two weeks. As we sat around the table and heard story after story of God's miraculous work through Dr. Daryl Champlin and his dear wife. Well, the Champlin said he turned and he walked to the door and he said in his mind and in his heart, the reason why he came up from the grave and the only reason why he was brought back to life was because it fulfilled the glorious, global, eternal purpose of the God of heaven. And when we get to the place where we think God's not answering our prayers, it may just be because it is not part of his purpose. In everything there seems to be a purpose under heaven. And we know that Solomon wrote it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And we know that everything is beautiful in his time. And there is a purpose for all things. But sometimes God says, just wait a little while. He doesn't provide for us an answer. And I want to tell you this morning that there is a great need for us to understand a little bit more concerning missions and understanding that in this particular verse, it gives us the understanding that Jesus is going to call us out someday and we will stand before him and we will be at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me tell you something. The white throne judgment is going to be of those that are not saved. And those will be cast into the lake of fire. They will have their opportunity. And I believe just like they had their opportunity here, every single person that can hear me this morning has the opportunity to trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. God loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And there are those that have that eternal purpose within their heart that they said uh, uh, no to the things of this world. They have abandoned they have abandoned the, the American dream, the American desire to be able to be important, to be able to have all kinds of money. They have mansions. They have nice, fancy cars. They have abandoned all of that. And they said, I will go to Africa. I will go to South America. I will go to the poor places like Romania or former Yugoslavia. I will go. And if I can't go, I will pray for them that do go. Or I will actually provide for them so that they can go. 
It's important for us to understand this, un, this, this, this global vision of God. And I think about Daryl Champlin, how he said, to call out a people from every kindred and tongue and nation, a multitude redeemed by the blood of his lamb, slain on Calvary's cross, over whom he will crown his son, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings and the Lord of lords forever, because this is the passion of the heart of God that cannot be quenched the obsession of his mind that cannot be denied, in the vision of his eyes from eternity past into eternity future that will not dim, and a destination that which he has committed his own omnipotent, eternal, immutable being in a destination that he will not and cannot abandon. And that particular calling is still on a calling today where he is calling missionaries. And so how do we respond to this calling? I think if we're looking at the text today, we're looking at post-rapture. We're looking at what's happening in heaven at this particular time. But I want us to look back a little further to 1 Thessalonica, uh, 1 Thessalonians. It's, the, it's a letter to the church at Thessalonica. And let's look at the first chapter. I want to just express the need for missionaries and for the need of missions today. World Missions has expanded here in our church. We went from about eight or ten missionaries now to around 40 or so. In the last 23 years, the Lord has increased the missions giving. And part of that is due to the fact that we have every year Harvest Fest, where we bring missionaries in. And so you can take a look at them. We have three of them that will be with us this weekend. Looking forward to having Kim Smith with us on Saturday night. He's going to give us an update, a little bit of what's going on in the stand countries with the Muslims and what is going on really here in the United States where there is just a woman who had recently trusted Christ in the area um, and now she has led four ladies to the Lord. Uh, other Muslim ladies, you see how this works. It multiplies because you too can lead someone to Jesus Christ. And by the way, that is your ultimate goal and calling. That's why you're still here, is to bring people to Jesus Christ. Remember, he said, come unto me, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, and you come to him. Maybe perhaps like a little puppy with a tail between your legs, you came to him. And now he's saying, go unto all nations. Now he says, go instead of come. And we are to go and take the word of God to the lost. That's the calling of our God. It is not to, to make ourselves more elite. It is to raise some people that are, that are close to the pit of hell to be able to bring them out of the fire so that they too can go to glory with us someday. I don't know how many more days you have left. Um, some of us have a few days left and some of us have a, few, a little bit longer. But in the first uh, portion of Scripture here in Thessalonians, it gives us a little bit more concerning world missions. I remember hearing about Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and Ed McCulley and Peter Fleming and Roger Yoderin. These were speared to death on a sandbar called Palm Beach in the Karari River of Ecuador. You might have heard the story. They were trying to reach the uh, native Indians there and uh, for the first time in history with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you might have uh, remember Elizabeth Elliot. She's one of the ladies that actually uh, was married to one of the men. And her book, Shadow of the Almighty, it came from the scripture, Psalm 91, verse number one. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And we know that she had lived a life of faith. She remarried, of course, and God gave her strength to be able to be an encouragement to many missionaries. 
and the life really of a person who um, would say to others, maybe perhaps, or others would say they didn't live a very long life. But what a fruitful life, because eventually that whole village was turned to Christ, just like Dr. Daryl Champlin got to see that whole village come to Jesus Christ. What a memory in his mind. Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. William Carey said this, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. We know that Adoniram Judson said, The prospects are as bright as the promises of God. Another missionary said, Let us advance, but let us advance on our knees. Livingstone said, I will go anywhere, provided that it is forward for the Lord. Henry Martin said, now let me burn out for God. And Alexander uh, Duff said, we are only playing at missions nowadays. It seems like we are saying that it is necessary, but none of us are willing to go. None of us are willing to carry the burden. William, when, when Hudson Taylor was a director of the China Inland Mission, he often interviewed candidates for the mission field. They still do that. They have to go to candidate school. On one occasion, he met with a group of of applicants, determined their motives for service, and why do you wish to go to the foreign mission field? He asked one, and he said, I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was the reply. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. Others gave different answers, and then Hudson Taylor said, All of these motives, however, are good, but they will fail you in the time of testing, in the time of trials, in the time of tribulations and possible death. There's but one motive that will sustain you in the trial of testing, and that is your love for Jesus Christ and your desire to thank him for what he's done for you. A missionary in Africa was once asked if he really liked what he was doing, and his response was shocking. Do I like the work? He said, no. My wife and I do not like the dirt. We have a reasonable, uh, redefined uh, sensibilities. We do not like crawling into the vile huts with bugs through the goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him. If not, liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go from God, and we go. The love for Christ constrains me. A little boy who heard his father pray for missions, and especially for the needs of missionaries, that they might be supplied, and that their institutions might be amply sustained, he said to his dad, Father, I wish I had your money, Dad. And he said, Why, son? What would you do with it? And he said to his father, I would answer your prayers, and I would go. I think what we see in the first portion of Thessalonians chapter 1 is one of the necessities that is needed for missions, and the first thing is a dynamic humility. There is a humility from the author, the Apostle Paul. Look at verse number 1, if you would, of the first chapter to the a letter to the church at Thessalonica. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can circle those words in. 
There's a difference between having Christ in you and you being in him. Amen, Brother Tom? Interesting, this verse gives us that understanding. In God and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He opens the letter with this dynamic humility. He humbles himself. And the greeting really unifies us all. There's no title oriented here. There's no really position oriented person here. There's no office oriented person here. There is just a servant of God who is very sharp, who is much, so much like even a lawyer would be, and that's the Apostle Paul. And he desired to write to the church at Thessalonica and appease them a little bit concerning their calling and showing them that their church would be a model church, the church at Thessalonica. Andrew Murray said this, the highest lesson a believer has to learn is humility. Oh, that every Christian who seeks to advance in a holy life may remember this well. There may be intense consecration and fervent zeal and heavenly experience, and yet if it is not prevented by a very special dealings of the Lord, there may be an unconscious self-exaltation with all of it, and there is in the end nothing. So let us learn a lesson, he says. The highest lesson in the holy life is the deepest humility. And let us remember that it comes not of itself, but only as it is made a matter of special dealings on the part of our faithful Lord and his faithful servant. It's interesting because humility isn't thinking meanly of oneself. It isn't thinking of self at all. The true, truly humble man does not know he is humble. Moses wist not that his skin and his face shone. Just like Moses of old, the Lord has redeemed you. He has filled you. And it shows upon your face. But should we exalt ourselves if we have the presence of the Almighty God? We should not exalt ourselves. We should humbly stand before our God and before this generation. The humble greeting reveals this. It reveals relationship with the people. He added co-workers, of course, and he mentioned the other men that are involved because it's not all about Paul. It was about Silvanius and Timotheus. It was about those that were co-laborers with him. Sometimes you may feel like you're all alone, but you know what? There is a team that you have surrounded by you, of people that are trying to do the best they can to fulfill the understanding of that glorious, global, global, eternal purpose of the God of heaven. People around you that have the same desire, people around you that long for people to be saved, people to be able to come to Christ. And I know sometimes they look at you as a spiritual leader and sometimes you feel like you're so inadequate, but God is with you. And he will continue to strengthen you. The sharing and equal calling, the humble greetings and courage. He talks about blessings here, inclusive of our God and our Father. He actually calls our God our Father. To the Gentiles he's speaking to, and to he's writing to these people that are not Jewish people. They are the Gentiles, but he includes them because of the humility. D.L. Moody wrote this years ago. A man can counterfeit love. He can counterfeit faith. He can counterfeit hope. 
and all the other graces, but it is very difficult to counterfeit humility. You soon detect mock humility. They have a saying among the Arabs that as the tares and the wheat grow, they show which God has blessed. The ears that God has blessed bow their heads and acknowledge every grain. And the more the fruitful they are, the lower their heads are bowed. The tares lift up their heads erect high above the wheat, but they are only fruitful of evil. If we only get down low enough, God will use us for his glory if we're willing to bow the knee and be humble. Dynamic, dynamic relationship with God. A dynamic humility is needed. I really believe that without humility, you cannot worship the God of heaven. I believe if we take pride to the altar, it is rejected, just like it was with Cain and Abel. It's important for us to understand that if we're ever going to have that opportunity to be filled with the Spirit of God, we must seek His desire and be humble in our hearts. In order for us to be able to take the Word of God to the lost and be effective in it, we must have this dynamic humility. But there also is something else in this passage. I see a dynamic in honor. In verses 2 and 3, look what the Bible says. We give thanks to God always for you, always making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in sight of God and our Father. So there is this incredible honor that's given here and these active powers that are in our, our lives too. I think it's important for us to understand the faith, hope, and love, and they're mentioned here. In the Christian, I think Paul weaves them into all of his letters. A faith, a hope, and a love. These active powers are basic but fundamental to all believers. These active powers are beautiful in themselves, but do not exist solely upon their own beauty. Each relies upon the other. These active powers are on a mission to mature in your daily walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. These active powers have a supreme goal, and the goal is to ultimately, supremely, to glorify God and to continue to glorify Him. And how can we glorify our God today? We must do it with humility, but yet with honor toward Him and toward others. And we must be able to get the gospel to the lost. I don't care if it's just giving them a track. Somehow we've got to get the gospel into Madison. I was thinking that maybe perhaps we could actually take Sunday afternoons and, and, and take a bus or a van load of people down to State Street and pass out some tracks or go to a park somewhere and hand out tracks to people and not try to be confrontational at all, to try to stir up strife, but then to, to, to cry out to these people about how God loves them and His plan is still in place. And until the stars fall, we've got to continue with the Great Commission. I think it's important for us to have that character of conviction. That's our faith. I was in the hospital on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week, and when I got dismissed or released, if you would, or discharged on Wednesday, the doctor came to me, and he had a two masks on and a shield. And he stood really far from me. I thought to myself, you poor soul, 
that you think you can go ahead and wear all that stuff and still be free of sickness. You have been deceived. Because if God wants you to get sick, you're going to get sick through that shield anyway. It's interesting how people are ready to grab the shield of faith rather than the shield of faith. It's amazing how they're trying to save their jobs and trying to save their income and trying to save everything else. And let me tell you something, dear friend. I understand your pain. And I understand the difficulties of living in a culture like we have today. And I'm not saying that you have to not wear a mask to be godly, but let me just tell you this, that where is your faith that God will take care of you and get you through this difficult time? And I'm not a politician. I'm not a doctor. This week when I was talking to the doctors, I said, you know, I understand what you're doing. You go through my history. You come to a diagnosis. And then you prescribe. I said, let me... Let me tell you, as a pastor, I get an opportunity to do that with people. I hear their history, and I come to a diagnosis, and then I prescribe. And what I prescribe for them is the Word of God. Because I really believe that the only thing that can free your soul from the bondage of hell is the Word of God. The only thing that will give you the power and the character that you need and the faith that you need and the conviction that you need is the Word of God. The character of compassion, that's the love mentioned here. And the character really of confidence, that's the hope. And if you were to look at the text again, you would understand the work of faith and labor of love and the patience of hope. Each one of those is mentioned in here, but the, 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 uh, the fruit is mentioned first. The fruit of faith is, is work. It's important for us to understand this. The fruit of love is labor. And the fruit of, of hope is patience. And this is what is needed in our lives today. And then lastly, I think we need this the dynamic in hope in 4 through 10. Listen to what it says in the Bible. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us. And of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Look at verse number 8, if you would. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that, they, that we need not to speak anything. He's actually commending them that they were able to take the word of God to the lost, from Macedonia all the way to Achaia. These are regions, they're not just cities. The vast understanding is that if you really are on fire for God and God has touched you, you will not be ashamed of Him. You will abandon everything to be able to get the word of God out. Have you abandoned everything? If you understood your purpose before God, if you understood that he's calling you even today to be more of what you should be so that you can get the word of God out to the lost. But it's interesting as we look a little further in verse number 9, it says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is what happened in that hut in 1965, many, many years ago, 
those men turned to God and God answered their prayer. And why did he do it? Because it fit and it was consistent with his glorious, global, eternal purpose. Do I fit into that? Do you fit into that? I believe it's a question we must ask ourselves. We see that they did. In verse number 10, it says, and then to wait, that's the patience for his son from heaven. That's that hope whom he raised from the dead. Even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come, we are delivered from the wrath. Still trust him. Stay calm, cool, and collective, and confident in the Lord, dear friend. We must make the gospel personal. This is the announcement that's mentioned here. It's interesting as we look at how these words are, are given out in verse 4 and verse number 5, how, that, because our gospel came. And the gospel must go out still. We must take the gospel personal. It's our gospel. God gave it to us. He put it into our hands that we were to take it to the lost. And it's not really that hard. Oh, you make it hard because you think the person is going to reject you. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting him. It's easy to witness to somebody. I had the FedEx man come in this week, and I'm in pain. I didn't really care. I wanted to talk to him about the Lord. So I, I watched, what's your name? He said, my name's Diego. And I said, Diego, you'd fit right in. We have one here at our church, and he's here this morning. I said, you must be Spanish-speaking then. And so I began to make a discourse in my Spanish. Buenos dias. Wait. Dios de bandiga. Didn't I do that really well? That's all I can do. He spoke English really well. And I said, uh, you must be Catholic. He said, I am. And I said, there's more to life than just religion. You can have a relationship with God. And I went over to the track rack and I pulled out that little track that we have. It's the same. It's like on a card and it's a Spanish-speaking one, you know, and I gave it to him and I said, I think you need to go home and read this. Maybe you should read it to your family. I said, you know, we have Spanish-speaking services here every single time the doors are open and you can come and bring your family and they sing choruses. His eyes began to light up and I'm thinking about why did this man walk into this building today? To deliver a package? No. No. Because God desires to redeem him. That he would understand the blood of Calvary for real, personal relationship with God. I think about this and I think about how that we must make the gospel personal. The gospel is more than just words. I love what Psalm 146 says. I studied it years ago. I studied it during Thanksgiving time. But let me just read you some of the the Bible from Psalm 146. It says, While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises unto my God while I have any being. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the sons of man, in whom there is no help. That word is the same for salvation. His breath goes forth, and he returns to, the, to, his, to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. But happy is he that hath made the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord, his God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that there is in. 
and which keeps truth forevermore. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, and the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that thou visitest him, thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast placed all things under his feet, sheep and oxen, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Why is it excellent? Because there is salvation in none other than Jesus, the Messiah. There is no salvation anyplace else. Have you put your faith and your trust in him? Then you now have entered in to the purpose of the God of heaven. He did all of that to call out to himself a redeemed people that have been washed by the blood of Calvary. And so now we can sing unto him and give praises unto him because our feet will never touch the flames of hell. We are not going there if we've been redeemed. Our feet will touch the beautiful streets of heaven. And I think it'll take us a thousand years just to get over it. That we're there with the Lord Jesus Christ and those that have trusted him. I'm so glad that God has made a way. I think what we need today is a revival like they had at the time of Pentecost. Years ago, I was preaching at Bible Baptist Church at Prairie du Chien. I still worked for the post office. We were... Married, I think we had a child then. I don't even know if we had a baby or not then. But I said, would you sing this song? And the song leader came, and these are the words to that song. Lord, as of old at Pentecost, thou didst not thy power display with cleansing, purifying flame. Descend on us today. Lord, send the old time power, the Pentecostal power, Thy floodgates of blessings on us throw open wide. The Lord, send the old-time power, the Pentecostal power, that sinners be converted and thy name glorified. What happened many, many years ago can happen again. And God can pour out his spirit upon us and we can see his movement in our hearts and see people saved and see his name glorified if we trust him. I don't know if you're in or not, but I am. I want to abandon this world for the call that God has given me. I hope you would abandon your calling, if you would, to this world and say yes to God. Say, yes, Lord, yes, have your will and have your way. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know for sure you're going to heaven. You know you'd want to go there because the alternative is pretty spooky. The Bible talks about it being a flame, never ceases, a pit, you never find the bottom of it, total darkness. Describing hell makes people tremble. But it is a reality if you reject Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you still have not trusted him completely. You know who Jesus is, but you've never received him. You've never opened that door. 
You seldom open door to anybody, really, but you've never opened it to God. And maybe today would be the day where you say, I'm opening up my heart to Jesus. I understand I need him. I understand his purpose. And I say yes to him. Maybe there's somebody here today who would say, Pastor Howell, would you please pray for me? I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I want to go. Would you please pray for me? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. I won't point you out. Say, I need Jesus in my life. Would you please pray for me? Is there anyone like that? Lift it up and put it back down again. And Christian, I was talking to you then this morning. This message was given to me for the believers. Maybe you're not where you need to be spiritually, but you sense God prompting you. Then why don't you come, yield to him? Maybe it's for baptism. Say, I need to get baptized. I've never been baptized. I've followed some religious things, but I've never truly been baptized. Then come. People will show you what to do. We can take care of that for you. Maybe it's for church membership. Maybe it's just to come to an old-fashioned altar. Why don't you come? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand to your feet, no one looking around? Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.